Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend, the Dr. Michael Berg, and the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland, and we are very happy to have you here joining us today as we uh, will continue with part two, our final part, we better not go over time, uh, of the Bennett Law discussion. We actually recorded on Tuesday the final uh, episode of our anthropology series. And so uh, today, which is Thursday, we are doing another final episode of a series, although a two-part series, uh, discussing, as we picked up last time, uh, with the Bennett Law, this law that was passed, uh, that required English language instruction in the schools of Wisconsin to be considered a school um, passed by the progressive Republicans of Wisconsin and then vigorously opposed by the Wisconsin Synod Lutherans, who are largely of German descent, the Missouri Synod Lutherans, who are largely of German descent, and the German Roman Catholics of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin, so that they got together. They met together. They came up with a plan. They campaigned, and they voted out the Republicans and voted in the Democrats, giving the Democrats a supermajority, something that surely would never happen again that a party would accomplish a supermajority in Wisconsin mm. in the state legislature. <laughs> What's, what's more impressive about this, that the, the Lutherans and the Catholics got together, that the Lutherans uh, were fighting for the Democratic side, or that they just got together and accomplished anything at all? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, too, the, the fact that uh, the, their propaganda campaign of, you know, the press Very effective. Were very effective. Very yeah. effective, you know, not and not just within their respective bodies like but, uh, come to the wells level of yeah. success mm. yep yes there you go <laughs> yeah you still see those bumper stickers sometimes you do yep and you know sometimes people still sing the old the old uh, theme song from the wells connection yeah that, that was a tune that set those words i think to music. It's, it's very dear to to some people's hearts still i think it is I that was is. uh that's that's how you knew you were about to get news yep about your synod yeah yeah that's right <laughs> And if you're not Wells and you're a listener and you ever saw those stickers um, and you saw Well and you saw Come to the Wells and you wondered what that was, um, that was a, uh, it was a play on words. Should we say it was a clever play on words or just a play on words? It was a play on words. It's a play on words because Wells, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And then that sounds like Wells, like where you get water, mm-hmm. like the Samaritan woman yeah. um, and Jesus as he will give her. Living Waters. So there you go. I wish we should make that. Remind me to capture that if we can get some of that jingle, and we'll make that a um, one of our sound bites. <laughs> Absolutely. And whenever yeah. like one of you is getting a little like extra Wellsy, <laughs> like you like you say like unit concept, oh, then yeah. I'll play like come to the Wells. Is that copyrighted? Probably. <laughs> Would send it to I, us. I don't know. It'll be okay. I, yeah. I don't want to upset Pawaki. I think if you like, <laughs> if you only play for a certain amount of seconds, like, then you can. Right, right. Like you might not be able to. You might not be able to play the full on. And it's, will it's for it, educational purposes. Yeah, we will right. send yes. it to the legal department. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure the WLC's legal department will take a quick look at that. Um, <laughs> the uh, or uh, we don't even. Who, what is our legal? We're just a pod. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's why we have the disclaimer. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's Jason. Jason is our legal department. Uh, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was Ben. Well, ben would oh, be right. better. Yeah, yeah. I thought Ben yep. was. Good. Anyway. Well, we are uh, part of the 1517 <laughs> Podcasting Network. I encourage you to go to 1517.org. Check out all the stuff uh, that they have going on there. I believe they launched a new podcast today, um, Tough Text, and I believe that is uh, um, Steve Paulson and Scott. I thought it was Scott and was it Dan Price or was it? I know, I know Scott's part of it. So, yeah. all right, I just saw it in Slack today and I needed to read I more w- carefully. I'll look at it right now. Yeah. Michael pulled that up, uh, launching a new podcast, but lots of good stuff happening at 1517.org. Encourage you to go check that out. Mike's book is out now with 1517 um, every given Sunday. You can go check that out there. Stan, and Stan Price and Scott Keith. Okay, Dan Price and Scott Keith. And then uh, Michael's been doing some promotional work today, I believe you said. 
yeah. for his book with Northwestern Publishing House yeah, for the baptismal life. So you can also... And I, and I did in my uh, uh, class today, usually I'm not a self-promoter, but um, we were talking about the baptismal rite and Luther's flood prayer. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions... It's a great I, prayer, by the way. Yeah, it's really powerful. That deserves an episode. Yeah. Jason, mm-hmm. would you please write that on our website? Yep. And uh, <clears throat> so one of the questions, I got questions beforehand for this interview and said, like, why'd you write this book? What, what, what drove you to this? It was largely Luther's flood, mm-hmm. flood prayer. That was the impetus yep. for these, these And I will songs. say, pastors, if, you're, if you haven't been using that in your baptisms, just take a look at it, consider oh, it. It's really Powerful. good. It's really a teaching opportunity. Anyway, yeah. Um, oh, Jason's showing off. He wrote it in German. There you go. Mm. Mm. The, uh, that's pretty good, Jason. Thank you. I'm proud of you. The, uh, Mike prefaced this episode um, with not to be cranky. And uh, maybe he sensed a little crankiness. But can I just toss out, will you permit me one potentially cranky thing? Not, it, it's it more a question. About, it's not it, complaining. It wasn't about you. It was about me. There has been, let's just say, um, quite a few men in their 60s and 70s that I have dealt with this week that, uh, well, you we're cranky. To, you don't have to say 20. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, I, uh, I, I'm more just wondering rather than being cranky. And I, I so... People paint it as like a Midwestern thing that we wave and say hello and, and that. And one of the things I've noticed like just this last week as I've been like riding my bike or driving or just out and about is that it still bothers me when people look at me, like people that don't know me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed it. We were, I took the kids, um, two of my girls to the eye doctor and there was someone there that, and they just like were looking at me and not like in a bad or a good way, but just like, why are you doing that? And that really bothered me. Um, and then I've noticed in traffic, I don't know if that got me looking more like, um, but people looking at me. And I remember that always being a real weird thing to do in the in the Detroit area in Michigan. Um, waving was just next level weird. I've mentioned before that took me a while to get used to that, especially in Minnesota and New Alm of like, bro, you don't know me. Why are you waving at me? Oh, and if you in some like places, even at an intersection. Waving. Oh, in rural in rural, if you did not wave somebody crossing someone on the highway in rural Minnesota, that would be the topic of why didn't you wave to me? Well, yep. and so I guess this yep. is my question is, um, A, is that truly a Midwestern thing? Um, it's a rural thing. It's the same in the South. Okay. And then B, is, uh, is it wrong for people to do that or is it wrong for me to get upset at that? Because... I, I get that it's supposed to be like a friendly gesture, but it really does upset me. I find it unsettling um, that people, yeah, Michael, just wave, but especially the just the looking at you thing. Like, why are you, you know, I, I just want. Do you have a staring problem? Is something wrong? What's, and I feel like that that's um, parts of the country where that is how it is. Who's in the wrong there? I'm wondering, gentlemen. Yeah, see, you're you're creepy staring. I'm talking. They're more looking, but. <laughs> Jason, it, what do you think? You're it, probably pro looking at people, yeah? I I think that the stare is weird. I think um I've I I've I've never been a fan fan of that. I think it is awkward. I'm not a f I'm not a I don't have a problem with the wave. I think. What about smiling? Smiling? I'm I, I think if it's a quick kind of Nod, smile, and move on. See, I don't like the smiling. Yeah. I I don't that doesn't bother me. That's for just, most of human history smiling like if you were depicted smiling it meant you were kind of slow in the head you were off well i don't know why we feel we have to smile at everyone yeah i've always thought like you could take like a, a family photos like throughout the from like mm-hmm. 2020 all the way to like 1700s and flip and it would be like slowly instead of a frown it would go up like yeah. a flip book because it's it's actually yeah. gradual. Like if you look at old confirmation pictures, yep. yeah, it's like you're allowed to do this, and then all of a sudden, if you're not smiling, then you're wrong. You, you're the the come across a little like you know Dwight Schrudish, you know, where uh, he's like smiling is a sign of weakness in primates. Like if you show your <laughs> if you show your teeth, yeah. then uh, yeah. then that's like you know showing your submission and weakness. And uh, but you would say you're you're pro eye contact and smiling. It doesn't bother me. Do you expect it? I don't know. I don't expect it, but if someone looks at me and... You do look for it, though, huh? Like you would glance over and see if someone's smiling at you? I don't necessarily look for it, 
but I think it's just part of being aware of your surroundings. That's how I would look at it. See, you know what I like about like when I when I am in big cities, is that you don't do make eye contact or smile because you might get stabbed. Right. You know what I mean? Like you you might you might look at the a person who's just it's not their day and they're not in the right mind and Mm -hmm. you could get stabbed. And while I'm against stabbing, I'd like to come out. (laughs) I'm against it. I think the the looming potential threat is a social good. (laughs) So long as it doesn't get carried through on. I don't know. What do you think, Michael? I I think we make smiling threat of stabbing. People seem to like think smiling is like the authentic facial. I would say one of these. It's a cultural. It's a. It's a. a, Um, hold on. It's a cultural thing, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, going all sociological here. Well, like if 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 you don't wave in some places, this is bad. If you do, it's bad. It's, It's a cultural thing, but I think that. More genuine, honest, kind human interaction is better than the opposite. Well, that's my question. Is smiling actually all that genuine? Depends on the context. What percentage of your day would you say you smile, Michael? Um, when you're around? In general. Okay. <laughs> it depends on the day. Like... I think you smile do more when I'm around because you smile like you're smiling now because you, you think you've hurt my feelings. Do I, do I see Wade or not see Wade is, uh, is part of the conversation. I'm, please don't say Nazi on this. I'm, I'm very, I would, I would say I smile quite a bit. I do. You think you smile more than 50% of the time? No, but uh, I, I think I, I think. You I'm, think you smile more than 20% of the time? I, I don't know the percentage. I would bet both of us smile less than 10% of the time. Uh, I, th- I think... This dude who just walks around with a childlike contentment, <laughs> he's smiling all the time. <laughs> I think, though, that I w- the better question is, because who knows how you could even... The better question is, uh, you know, what percentile are you in in the population? I would say that I'm probably in the the, the 70th percentile. For smiling? smiling all the time. <laughs> of, of general of humanity. <laughs> I'm okay, thinking, humanity, because like, yeah, Americans smile all the time. Right, <laughs> so I would say I'm in the 70%, and of Americans, I would say I would be in the 60th percentile of smilers. <laughs> I don't think that math works. How would you be in the 70th percent because you're an American, but then only, but still? Because America's going to have more smilers. I guess. Because, you know, like, nobody See, smiles in Russia. But here's my thing. I think smiling fuels superficiality and fakeness. I'd because it's like, I feel like I have to put on a smile for this person. I have to look at them. And that, to me, okay, is fake. First, okay, I have an update. I don't care about this smiling yes. thing anymore. Um, I, you are smiling right now. Right? Because, yep. because... You want to be in that 60%. <laughs> because I... Uh, Jason, I want you to start keeping a smile notebook smile and out. note <laughs> when Mike smiles. I reached out to um, our legal department, a.k.a. Ben Lyra, <laughs> and I asked him, as a let the bird... Uh, fly legal department. We need your advice. If we would use the old "Come to the Wells" jingle on the podcast, are we allowed to? D- and sometimes it might be used in an unflattering way. I already got a YouTube uh, video of the Wells, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's okay. With Looks it. like it's on a one-hour loop. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will work, work to incorporate that going forward. I got us distracted, but I just. Listeners, I'm curious, wow. our general listeners out there, and I, yeah. I, th- this is not fair towards me, because we have a disproportionate amount of listeners in Minnesota and Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. And Albania, which I feel like is a very friendly place. I, gener- I generally feel better when I am uh, smiling and waving to people. Yep. There you go. So. I, th- I think, too, it's like, it's not just smiling for the sake of smiling. It's smiling as you interact with people. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the thing. You don't just but sit what I'm talking about is, is the face, majority but. of interactions that are simply you're seeing each other or maybe you say, how are you? Which, again, you don't mean. Mm-hmm. You're not, you don't want them to actually honestly answer. Like, I've been, oh, I've actually been suffering with gout. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. been answering more honestly with that. Like, like someone's like, how are you doing? I'm like, fat and stupid. <laughs> Generally annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> because you want to know why? Because then it puts a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. Ah. You are smiling more than normal in this smile discussion. <laughs> so I'll just I'll ask our listeners, feel free, when this episode drops, you can comment on Facebook, send us a message, podcastlethebirdfly.com. Am I the only one who thinks it's kind of rude to make eye contact and smile? And maybe even ask, how are you doing? 
in social uh, situations and, and hey, in interactions. Hey, Jason, guess what's going to happen a lot tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the halls. Of, yeah. It be, could be. It could uh, be. I'm going to yeah. be a lot of smiling. A lot of smiling and asking how Wade is. Yep. You yep. know You know what pictures of Jesus I like? When he's smiling. No, I don't like the, the happy laughing Jesus. This I like the ones when he looks very serious. Because then I know he's serious about me. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of looking a little bit away from me because I'm sinful. Um, but also because he's on a mission to save me. And so he can't get too distracted. That's that's the pictures of Jesus I like. He's a little he's a little aloof, <laughs> but aloof with intentionality. Jesus or Jason's Jesus. This is the like the thumbs up, smiling. <laughs> Let's have a good time. How you doing? Oh wait, yeah. what was I supposed to do today? Redeem the world. Uh, he got a little caught up at an <laughs> intersection. We'll chill and yeah. smile a little bit oh. longer, and uh, yeah. All right. You know, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop. Um, finally, go to letthebirdfly.com. Go to the menu, Germany trip 2024. Uh, Jason and I are leading a tour of Germany, the Lutherlands, especially Cradle of the Reformation, May 13th through 23rd, 2024. Um, that's pretty much all-inclusive except for a few meals, the price that you will see there for that. If you uh, register before May 13th, there is a discount, another discount if you register before July 13th, please reach out to us if you are interested but have questions. Um, first name dot last name at wlc.edu will get you either of our emails or podcast at Let the Bird Fly. We've been hearing from people, which has been great. Um, we'd love to hear from more, so please do reach out. Let us know. If you have questions, we're happy to fill you in as best as we are able. Uh, with that, do we want the disclaimer today, or did we already throw out the legal stuff? I yeah, I think we we got our legal. We included Ben, so we're all right. <laughs> all right, we'll make our way to the main topic. us to our main topic, which is the Bennett Law. We gave the background last time. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, you'll be all right. Go ahead and give it a listen, but you'll probably find it worthwhile to jump back to the previous episode at some point to get a little bit more background on the Bennett Law. Um, This episode is kind of based loosely out of, I say loosely because we just spent 17 minutes on smiling and eye contact, um, (laughs) based loosely on a uh, journal article I had written um, years ago that appeared in the uh, Lutheran, wow, what's the name, Historical Conference Journal. Um, but then I presented on this, revisited and presented at the Milwaukee County Historical Society. And to my great joy, both of my podcast colleagues came out and listened and showed their support and even said nice words. Yeah. Which means a lot, especially nice words from Michael. No offense, Jason, but you give them easily. <laughs> you are like I, the sower sows his reckless seed that's right. with nice words. Well, um, what of that? Oh, what but of like, that? Um, but with Michael, nice words are like pearls yeah. for the swine. Yeah. Well, well, that's a bad analogy because then I wouldn't appreciate him. Who appreciates pearls? Uh, <laughs> when it, you're right, exactly. I, yeah. They're like nice words are like the treasure found in a field. There you go. And there I would go. go and sell all Jason's nice words. No offense. Right, yep. They just for pile one up. Of, for one of Michael's. <laughs> they, they, they pile yeah. up like clutter. Um, what was the uh, the Bennett Law, just to give you a little bit of background? William Dempster Horde um, was elected governor of Wisconsin. Then you served two-year terms. He was a progressive Republican. Um, keep in mind, progressive, let's not be anachronistic. We don't necessarily mean everything that progressive means today. This was like maybe eight-year-olds shouldn't be working in factories and getting emphysema. Um, maybe we should have better schools. We've made a lot of progress. Yeah, maybe because we, somebody that McDonald's just got in trouble for the ten-year-olds. Yeah. I saw progress. that. Yeah. yeah, maybe we should have sewer systems. Maybe we should have good county parks, which became the jewel of Milwaukee County um, when our socialist uh, mayors <laughs> invested heavily in our city parks. 
Um, Hoard is elected. His term is from 1889 to 1891. He calls for legislation to make sure that children in all schools in Wisconsin are getting at least basic instruction in English. Um, he's not a nativist, but he thinks any child who's going to have a chance to succeed should be able to um, operate in the language of the greater economy, of commerce, of uh, society as a whole. He told uh, the Assembly January 10th, so at the beginning of his term, the child that is the citizen that is to be has a right to demand of the state that it be provided as against all contingencies with a reasonable amount of instruction in common English branches. Especially has it the right to demand that it be provided with the ability to read and write the language of this country, which would have been English. And note there, politicians used to talk way fancier, mm-hmm. right? Because now no one would talk like that. Right. Um, now we gravitate to politicians who have a very hard time stringing a coherent sentence together. <laughs> but they say something catchy. Yeah. Right? It's talking points and slogans. Yeah. Yep. At best. Levi Pond tries to, like, answer the call for legislation, Legislation puts it forward. Basically, you got to fill out a form, schools, saying how many students you got and what you're doing in English. And uh, the the Germans in Wisconsin with the private schools, they say, no forms. This is government overreach. And there's already enough laws. And uh, and we have freedom. And this this gets defeated quickly. It never even really makes it to the floor. Um. And uh, the bill is defeated. Everybody thinks we're good. Michael Bennett then brings a bill, but this kind of flies under the radar. It makes it through the Republican majority. It's passed. It's signed into law by Governor Horde, April 28, 1889. And the um, section that's disputed, it dealt with more than education. But Section 5 says, No school shall be regarded as a school under this act, unless there shall be taught therein as part of the elementary education of children reading, writing, arithmetic, and United States history in the English language. Um, Now the Germans in Wisconsin, and we've talked about there are a lot of Germans in Wisconsin, feel like they have been betrayed. This bill has been snuck through after the previous bill had been rejected, after the population of Wisconsin um, had... uh, expressed concerns with such a bill and there is going to be quite vociferous um, reaction. Uh, we, we hit on last time, but just as a bit of a refresher, in 1890, the U.S. Bureau of the Census reported 259,819 foreign-born residents. That's just foreign-born residents from Germany in Wisconsin. Um, their Lutheraner, the... Um, uh, I believe it was Der Lutheraner, I might be remembering incorrectly, it might be the Lutheran witness already back then, the English language, um, called uh, Wisconsin a Lutheran state in the Northwest um, because of the, the large population of German Lutherans who were making their way. Um, and maybe just, if you don't mind rehashing just briefly, Jason, since I, I know you would be familiar with this and able to do so, um, if we can just talk a little bit about the Wisconsin Synod and the Missouri Synod's roots, both are very German, but maybe a little bit different um, in how, in their start, why they come over and what kind of church body they are early on. Yeah, and I think maybe uh, let's start with Missouri because theirs is maybe a simpler story in the sense that uh, they were, they kind of, the the majority of their founders came over kind of en masse as a group. They were, they were, um, essentially from the same area, uh, Saxony, they, they came, um, with a very specific purpose in mind that, um, they were seeking a place to practice their, their old Lutheran brand of Lutheran faith. And, uh, America was the place. And so they came and, and were looking to establish that and which, which kind of allows them in a way to hit the ground running because they have, uh, you know, kind of a very definite plan in place, and a very and, and almost a um, the beginnings of a structure in place because that they they're all kind of coming here with that. Wisconsin, on the other hand, um, uh, there there's a lot of Germans in Wisconsin um, that have come for any number of different reasons, probably largely economic, um, and then there is the Missouri Synod that's present already in Wisconsin, and yet there are some guys that say we maybe need a 
a different church body, uh, at least at its founding, not maybe quite as strict or as serious about this uh, Lutheran confessionalism that we see in Missouri, but uh, we should have kind of our own place to to get together with like-minded people. And so that's kind of where the, where the Wisconsin Synod begins. But almost immediately at its founding, there are movements that are beginning to pull it in that more confessional uh, direction. Um, and, but they are located more primarily in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and, and to acknowledge part of the, part of those influences are coming from Missouri that, mm-hmm. that are pulling, pulling Wisconsin in that direction. Although there's also, um, forces within Wisconsin that yeah. are moving it that direction you as well. You get a kind of group of youngish pastors, theologians yeah. who are, um, find themselves leaning more that way as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. But both of these church bodies, um, especially in those early years, are, you know, in many ways defined by their German nature, right? Uh, and I'll say in the town that I grew up in, this was this was in Minnesota, that one of the things that it was a Swedish, largely Swedish community of, of that immigrants. That must have been tough for you. I know your, your sweat <laughs> right. sentiments about exactly, this. Exactly, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there was... English Lutheran Church there, there was Swedish Lutheran Church there, but the reason that they needed to found um, Zion was because they needed a German Lutheran Church, and so that was kind of what led to the founding of this uh, additional Lutheran Church in a relatively small town. Now, if I may ask you a question about your town, Jason. Mm-hmm. The English Lutheran Church, what were its original, that was Swedish? I Because often to... the English churches... Right in in town, if you have something English, yeah, often that was either established very early and and thus went to English mm-hmm. earlier, or it was a non-German. Um, I will origins. say, I think that the very first one was the Swedish Church, and then the and my guess is, and I don't know the exact makeup of the the founders of the the English one, but I think it was probably recognizing that there's you know the majority are are Lutheran, but not everyone is so entirely Swedish um, mm. and need maybe another option. Yeah. Well, that so, makes sense. But I, I'd have to look to see for sure the makeup of that founding group. Yeah. And then the other group that we've mentioned is um, the Roman Catholics. And you have a large number of Germans who are coming uh, for many of the German Roman Catholics, many coming for economic reasons. Um, but they, uh, the community, the religious community, the Roman Catholic religious community is very important to them. Uh, it's something they would have had a connection to back home, and, and obviously where it becomes their primary community um, here in the States. And so you have three groups um, who have various reasons for why they're here in America, um, but all value schools um, because of their emphasis on catechesis, because of the emphasis on education within Germany during the Reformation and then the Counter-Reformation, um, because these schools provide an opportunity in America to avoid the public schools. Um, the public schools uh, were both the German Lutherans and the German Roman Catholics were leery of the public schools because of their Protestantism, and there would have been a much more overt Protestantism in them at the time. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like kind of the post, you know, no prayer in schools, all that stuff, um, and uh, so the Roman Catholics don't want their their kids going and reading the King James Bible. Not because they have something against the Bible, but the King James Bible is like peak English-speaking Protestantism. Um, the Wisconsin Synod and Missouri Synod is worried about American Protestant sectarianism. And maybe I can throw that to you, Jason or Michael. Um, what do we mean when they're going to refer to these things as sectarian? Because we might go, well, Lutherans are Protestants. What are you talking about? Um, when the Lutherans come from Germany where you have basically the Reformed, kind of Calvinist, Lutherans and Catholics, and they come to America, which becomes just a Petri dish for denominations. <laughs> um, what do they mean by sectarianism? Well, I think that at best, Lutheranism is trying to say uh, there shouldn't be a Lutheranism, right? There should be no ism, that we are going from the Jesus Christ to the apostolic testimony through the church 
and we're not doing anything new. That was a very important part, which they did not have to make that argument, but they did. We're not starting anything new here. Which is the whole po point of the beginning of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're, the, the Reformation movement was exactly that, to reform the church, not to start something else. And certainly uh, there's a theological reason for that, but definitely a, a political and cultural reason. We don't just start in, in, in the age of the Reformation. We're not just starting our own little weird thing, right? Mm -hmm. We're in America. We're like, you didn't start a cult. What's your problem? Right. Right. <laughs> or like, wait, uh, you're upset with your church and you didn't just go start, start a something new one. New. You like, didn't follow. An there's land for sale right across the street. You didn't follow an individual and his personality. That seems right. crazy to me. So that's, uh, I would say probably you know, a percentage, but the vast majority of Lutherans in America today don't think that way. They think that way that right. they're Protestants. And so the Lu the Lutherans didn't leave. They kicked us out, right? Uh, I uh, I think is a thing to The to, left to foot of fellowship. Yeah. So, which Lander used to say. Right. Yes. So to be sectarian coming from Europe to a new American, plus you have this theological identity, that would have been something like, still today, if, if an immigrant comes to America... They, they are going to have most likely a lot of reasons to love America, but they're not ignorant of our flaws, mm -hmm. right? And, and to think that this is the Zion on the hill, which is, by the way, what many Protestants thought it was, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is kind of a ridiculous notion, right? It's a ridiculous notion, and it's a, 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 Wait, Michael, a wedding. The Book of Psalms was written about America, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> a wedding of um, the two kingdoms in a very dangerous way um, and making a confusion of what is penultimate and ultimate and setting yourself up for a big failure, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And also sets the stage, I think, for our unique political situation today where if your nation state sort of is kind of your ultimate identity and kind of your spiritual sort of thing, and if you use the word sacred for things that are not sacred, like a flag and a, and a, and the hallowed grounds of a governmental building or a football stadium, <laughs> that's <laughs> different and legitimate. <laughs> that's different and legitimate. Um, <laughs> but if you, if if you well the two or which I think does happen, you lose your religion and there is a, there is a vacuum that, that, that occurs and, and is going to be filled by some sort of civic religion, um, then you can't really honestly critique your nation state because that's sort of your God. You believe in it. You don't go with facts. You just believe in it. So the early criticisms of the Lutherans about the American culture, while loving the American freedom and, and its ideals, um, I think we're spot on. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take but a few generations for the, the Lutherans to become either a mainline Protestant or a conservative Protestant. That's how we kind of divide ourselves up today. And really not seeing the difference, yeah. right? We, we just baptize babies, but we're really... We're just Baptists who baptize babies, kind of thing, and um, and an ecumenical movement that developed in America that was more American than theological, and kind of like that. I mean, you get to the fifties and the sixties, and everybody's optimistic. Everybody's, you know, getting to buy. Not everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people are getting to buy houses and whatever else. But um, and we all go to church, and you get the these like council of churches, and there, and it's going to be. This is not. A theological movement it's like we're american protestant churches and right we're we all kind of are the same we just have some differences but the main thing we are is american protestant yeah. churches and that 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 first wave of of an ecum, uh, ecumenical movement actually is followed by a conservative one right right which actually includes the roman catholics usually in uh um life issues politically but let's be honest the 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 person who is very critical of the ecumenical movement of the mid mid century, um, sort of kind of likes the ecumenical movement of you know we're all kind of Baptists and right. you know and um, for the same America yeah. reasons well different uh, America reasons but still America still American reasons and you can pin, you can see the 
the the difference between going from that ideal to just kind of being absorbed into this American ecumenical sort of civil religion, whether it's left-leaning or right-leaning, um, when the crucifixes were no longer put in, in, in the parishes. But... American flags were. And some dude came up with a Christian flag and got rich. Yep. That we put on the other side. Yep. So th- that was that that is a very odd and now you can't And if you want to capture we can't a perfect re- picture of American Protestantism <laughs> as I was in a church once and the American flag I don't know if this was intentional or just someone had moved something. The American flag draped down and fell a little bit over the font. There there and I thought that's the most <laughs> American Protestant yeah. thing yeah. I've ever so, seen. Yeah. And now you cannot reverse engineer this by taking away the flag and putting up a crucifix and the problem is solved. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't tell me that that movement did not come out in a Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi way. Mm-hmm. Like what we worship is going to is going to affect what we believe in and what we believe affects the our worship and our art. Uh, I think that was a clear example of what was going on in the thoughts and hearts and minds and pulpits um, of the mid-century American Lutherans. Yeah, so this is um, later developments, but this is what is feared about about the public schools. And this is not a commentary on public schools right now, and I'm I'm a product of um, Roman Catholic and then public schools, and I uh, appreciate it, my education. Um, The... uh, but so we get at what we kind of these fears. They've come to America, and their fear is that they'll become too American in certain ways. Um, but the interesting part to me in working on this paper is that they also are very American in some very key ways. Already. <laughs> yes. And so while they're going to be, and they will write in English as well, as part of what Jason noted was a very successful propaganda campaign. But they're, <clears throat> they're, defending operating in German in their schools, and a lot of these um, places that are making these arguments are German publications. And so the, the American ideals and German print idea comes from that. And so maybe if we can segue a little bit into that um, and hit on uh, how it was possible um, for them, uh, for two-kingdom theological reasons, um, to uh, be active in politics in a way that is probably unparalleled for much of the history of conservative Lutheranism in America. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a weird mix. And so let me just give a little background. So Pastor John Bodding, who's very important for Wisconsin moving in a more confessional direction, um, was pastor of St. John's, which is now St. John's on the hillside, which is a church worth checking out. A um, lot of history, pretty church. Uh, he calls a meeting, and he invites um, Roman Catholics and fellow Lutherans of other stripes, opponents of the bill, and they meet, and they come up with a joint statement that calls the bill unrepublican, unconstitutional, and destructive to parental authority. And you might expect, okay, here's a bunch of Christians, and here's um, Lutherans who are worried about being forced to do theology in English, Um they're surely going to make biblical arguments. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find biblical arguments being made um, about... Now, Bodin at Synod Convention will talk about the two kingdoms, um, but what's stunning is the arguments they make are very American and constitutional. And maybe just the idea of unrepublican, meaning true to the nature of, the, of, of a republic. Right. Yeah, not, not republican not, like the political party. party. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so uh, that convention that uh, Bodine uses to talk about two kingdoms sets up a committee to A, be ready to comply with the law if they have to, but B, and more report, importantly, lead the propaganda campaign using both ecclesiastical and secular press um, to do so. The, uh, on February 23rd of 1890, representatives from the Wisconsin Synod meet with other German Protestant churches, and they also express their opposition to the law and pledge not to vote for candidates who don't promise to repeal the law. Now, this might not be as odd or weird to me as it would be to Jason or Michael if this had ever happened because I remember receiving voter guides from the archdiocese Mm -hmm. um, as a young Roman Catholic, and they often focused, I would say, on two things that are very dear to me. This is back when when the Roman Catholic voting bloc was, was... 
was actually fun mm. because it uh, it was an odd mix of Democrat and Republican. It was very much about like pro life, but also workers' rights, the poor. Unfortunately, I don't think they were very strong on bike lanes, <laughs> um, and I don't remember anything on trains. The uh, Gemeindeblatt, which was like the main like laity would be reading this, the widely read Wisconsin Standard German language publication talks about this as um, it decries the destruction of the religious parish schools, especially German ones. Um, Christian Kerner, who is a legal editor of Germania, which was a, um, a secular German newspaper, um, laments what a, what a herd of white slaves this law makes of us. He was a prominent Wisconsin Synod member as well. And he argues that the people is governed best, that is governed least. Our libertarian listeners <laughs> are probably you know, gratified to hear that. Um, the Gemeindeblatt later will go on and have an article called Confession Making Against the Bennett Law. And confession making in Lutheranism is a big deal. When it's yep. a time of confession making, this is serious stuff. We're talking like the stuff that led up to the formula of Concord. Um, we're talking like a Hermann Sasse, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, confession making under Nazism. Um, we're talking disagreement over if something is a hot dish or a casserole. Um, this is a, a big deal. And so we get, um, this is confession-making, but um, this confession-making involves an appeal to American ideals. So here's the types of things that get emphasized. This restricts the free exercise of religion, attacks civil liberties, violates the natural rights of parents, intrudes in ecclesiastical and private manners, matters, does away with legitimate education of education, legitimate methods of education without proper cause and restricts conscience um, in an unconstitutional way. So not restricts conscience in a, like, Luther at Worms, mm -hmm. but an unconstitutional way. And so the Gemeindeblatt, and I, I focus on that in the presentation. There's more in the, in the article. It uh, says this is robbing parents of their parental rights in the manner of a socialist police state. Now, keep in mind, this is not like Fox News, Newsmax, socialism that they're talking about. But you just had the 1848 revolutions, um, Marx, right, um, and Engels, and various schools of socialism, especially in Central Europe and in France, um, that are very vocal. And the idea of police state isn't necessarily only a socialist thing, but you're coming out of um, a... Germany that at this point has a history of being more policed, more hierarchical, um, both for church and state, than um, Western Europe would have been, especially Prussia, right, um, historically. Right. So we get all these um, arguments made, um, and the religious arguments are about religious freedom, the free exercise of religion, and the law will be defeated. Um, the Luther, Der Lutheraner is, the, 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 the school magazines are all opposing this, the English language, the Lutheran witness. I mean, we'll eventually get to repeal, but I'll toss it back to you guys for anything you have. I was just going to say that, you know, the free exercise thing, you know, that's what they're driving at with the unconstitutional nature of their argument as far as uh, bind, the binding of consciences, right? That The way that the first amendment talks about mm -hmm. um that you have the freedom to worship as you will or freedom to express what you you know like this is the idea of you know the state can you know and legitimately should restrict behavior but what you think or what you believe that shouldn't that shouldn't be or even some of the things what you say yeah that's not the purview of the state According to our Constitution, it says yeah. that's not what the state should do. And that goes back to the previous episode, if you haven't listened, um, what and how what you think or believe was tied for many to their language. Yes, yes. Um, to how they thought and believed it in German. The law is repealed February of 1891. The Democrats win a supermajority. Horde is defeated for governor. And we don't get any more measures like this until um, World War I. But by World War I, interestingly, we see the Americanization or assimilation, language-wise, of the Synod. Wisconsin Synod was already well underway. Missouri already had an English-language publication, The Lutheran Witness. Um, the uh, 1914, we'll see the establishment of the Northwestern Lutheran. Rest in peace, Northwestern Lutheran. I still miss, that was a good name. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is now Ford and Christ. 
Yeah. But uh, which was kind of born out of the Gemeindeblatt, but right, but yeah, yeah. Um, but in 1914, it's established, and it's not only English language; it's English only. Um, from 19 in the 1918-19 uh, issue of the um, Theologische Quartalschrift, the Theological Quarterly, which is now WLQ, Wisconsin Lutheran Quarterly, August Pieper, who had been on the committee to oppose the Bennett Law writes an article entitled Our Transition into English and says this is now a, a thing that should be happening and it's largely happened. But keep in mind, enough time has passed that this is second, third generation Lutherans in many of the churches. Mm-hmm. Um, German Lutherans, I mean Germans, in many of these churches. And then um, as Mike has gotten at with the flags, um, the pace of Americanization per se is going to pick up with World War One, where... Um, some people are going to be like, well, if you're a German, are you on our side? And you're going to start really seeing American flags and stuff popping up in churches, as well as um, uh, not wanting to not wanting to seem too other or different, which leads to some more <coughs> generic American um, aesthetics yeah. and practices that will make their way in. We have, a, let's say, 10 minutes, because I have, I have no compunction about being late to class. I'm going to stop talking now. I'll throw it to you guys. You guys, um, any thoughts you have? I will just, the, the last thought I'll give is, um, I do think this is a helpful reminder, too, for us as church, especially as we try to be church and do mission work with um, the world coming to us um, and with new communities in America, um, to remember that there's a lot of contact points between our story um, and the stories of many groups that come over, and maybe the questions, the tensions, um, the uh, the hopes and dreams uh, that they bring with them. But uh, I will throw it to you guys now. I'll just say something, and then Jason, you can you can close this out. Um, so, what you're after here is not to oversimplify it and make it into a political statement, but we were all once immigrants. Right, um, but I think that's true, and but it's more, it's a little bit more. Not, uh, I shouldn't say complicated, but it, it's it's there's more going on when it co- when it comes to you coming over for religious reasons, right? And I'm not, we're not saying like, oh, how great it was when we had our German character and some kind of repristination of some imaginary golden age. That's not what we're saying here, and none of us. In this, like, I have zero connection to it, like, by family or by ethnic heritage. Or Jason, I think, is a closeted Scandinavian, yeah, yeah. Although there's a fair amount of German as well. Jason probably has, but but Mike, you have, I guess, if you had some real synod roots, okay, one of us doesn't have, (laughs) but Mike, I would say, um, are like. Wells German Lutheran heritage hardly is something that you bring up a lot or is no, I, definitional for you. Like, let's just be honest, I'm American, good, bad, and ugly, right? Um, but I, I think that you need to understand that you do lose something. You maybe lose something bad, <laughs> right? I'm not saying it's all bad that you become a little bit more American in, 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 in quite a few ways. Like, the state church doesn't is not a good idea, right? Right. Um, but... Be aware of that, and not a cultural like German versus American, which is something hopefully we can just like get rid of, because it's just not. It's just that's something that was generations ago, right? But to say, what does it mean to be an, a generic American Christian, and can I trace that that change, and what did I lose, right? What did I lose? And now, if if you're reading this as being anti-American, it's that exact opposite. Um, I think. Uh, to to be American first and Lutheran second is actually very un-American, right? You you are allowed to be this in America, right? And there's such a danger with the civil religion kind of thing. And even if it's not overt, there's still this idea of we're sort of all generically kind of the same. I'm like not really, right? And uh, we can be on the same page for a lot of different things politically. I have no problem with that. But don't make it with this, you know, kind of a generic uh, religion. You you lose something. All right. Yeah, I think too. The other thing, you know, um, when you when you look at, you know, when 
there there are all sorts of things politically that you you know people can look at and say um well this isn't right uh we should become involved why doesn't the church become more actively involved i think one thing that we learn here is um that what what prompted them to become involved here is that they felt uh, and you could maybe argue whether it was the case or not, but they felt that they were being specifically targeted, um, and that and they do was, voice that, yeah, yes, that that who uh, of okay of the schools that this affects, whose schools are they? They're the German religious schools that maybe, that are operated. maybe some poles too, but otherwise right, almost but largely entirely, yeah. largely German, right? Yeah. Um, the, and and again, Lutherans and Catholics primarily. Right? And this was happening in other states. Yep. In in nativist ways, more yeah. than what Horde intended. So there yeah. was a pattern too. They weren't imagining right that, exactly that what such laws would lead to. So, but the idea that they're saying, number one, we are being specifically targeted because of who we are, and the truth of the gospel is really at stake here. And um, that's when. Uh, we're being called upon to to speak up and make use of these avenues. And again, I think, um, as you rightly pointed out, they they make use of the um, you know uh, avenues that are available through the American means, so to speak, that they have at their disposal. Um, and they make a very compelling case, and and the uh, effort bears fruit. You know, but they're they're using. Um, American methods, so to speak, in the American avenues that are open to them by the um, Constitution, freedom of press, you know, all those type of things. And and I think that is something to keep in mind is that it's not just whenever you see politically um, things not going the way that you think are right, but the fact that, you know, hey, this was a kind of unique uh, situation, and that's what caused them to respond in the way that they did. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I unmuted myself so I would not interrupt as I'm trying to work better at that. <laughs> We're going to see if this works. And um, so, hopefully, you found this interesting. Whether you're uh, a German uh, Lutheran or German Roman Catholic by ancestry, German at all. Um, whether you are someone whose family has been in the States for a long time or someone who is new. Um, but no matter what, I, what I, part of what I like about this is these, uh, these German Lutherans who were feisty and were gospel people and wanted to do gospel theology in German, uh, they, they were willing to get together at this, at this moment and uh, let the bird fly.